Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today on the show, we have Brian Walsh. He's an entrepreneur and the founder of Tipio. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ben. Great to be with you. Yeah, great to have you on. So uh, what most people probably don't know is I actually used to work for you uh, at your startup, Tipio. But although I know a little bit about you, why don't you start by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started? Sure. Um, so I'm a I, I CUA alum, a class of 1990. I'm from New Jersey. Uh, and as they say, you can take the boy out of Jersey, but you can't take the Jersey out of the boy. Um, <laughs> I still consider that home, although my wife, Kara, who also graduated with me in 1990, and I have lived in Northern Virginia now for 20 plus years. Um, I often joke that I'm still from New Jersey. Um, so had an amazing experience at Catholic University, um, was a poli-sci major, philosophy minor, uh, but always sort of had this bug of, um, even in high school, having my own house painting company with, with one of my brothers and, and a really close friend of mine, um, had that urge to go out and do things on my own and, uh, you know, try to create my own pathway. Um, and then, you know, the Catholic University sort of led me into a direction that I, I never really thought I would get into, but starting um, a couple of businesses uh, immediately after CUA, I spent a little over two years uh, at the Republican National Committee, wound up in the finance department, um, actually, and by accident wound up running their one huge part of their uh, fundraising unit, which is, was uh, the direct mail, active direct mail program. Had no earthly idea what I was doing, um, <laughs> but uh, was fortunate enough to surround myself with some great people and consultants. And um, in lieu of going to law school, uh, which would have been a disaster for me, um, I had the good fortune of being hired by a um, uh, the leading consultant at the time to start an agency uh, she had started and I joined I was a first employee um, and that's really where I you know caught the bug even more the uh, being a part of a small business um, serving clients serving interests that we had um, which included um, nonprofit sector historical sector um, uh, Catholic sector faith-based as well and um, from that, the other uh, business started to evolve. So um, other than that, father of four, uh, very active um, with my kids. I've got one out of college, one in, two in high school, um, and they keep us on our toes. Uh, and then active too in, in uh, some board work that I do, service, uh, church-related, um, some prison ministry work, things like that. So I like to stay busy um, and, and keep my my toes in a lot of things. And of course, the the latest thing I'm doing, I'm back at Catholic U as an entrepreneur in residence, kind of a part-time gig. Um, and we just launched last week the Venture Lab at Catholic U, which I'm very excited about. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, so that's kind of the background and, and time flies. Um, actually next month was supposed to be uh, a major reunion for my CUA classmates and I, and that's been 
put off because of COVID. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I'm sure we'll get get a chance to celebrate here down down the road. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like there's a lot of stories of, you know, I was supposed to do this like great thing and then COVID kind of got in the way and yep. and it just it's it's kind of wrecked everything. So talk to me a little bit about how you started with your entrepreneurship experience in terms of uh, what business did you end up starting like your first business? Well, it wasn't one so much I started. It was more one that I joined um, at the time. Uh, it was a small direct marketing agency. Uh, that we, um, you know, grew into, we, we had at the, 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 I guess the heyday of it, about 18 employees. And really we helped um, uh, nonprofit, grassroots, um, issue advocacy foundations, help them raise money. And we did that by providing creative, um, strategic uh, uh, analysis, budgeting, all sorts of things. And I became really the lead account executive and worked with some amazing groups. Um, I have the, the privilege of saying that I've served uh, both President Bush's library foundations um, and still do with President 43, George W., um, helping them build their donor bases, maintain them. And we did that um, also in the Catholic space quite a bit. Um, I, we worked for Franciscan Monastery in the Holy Land, um, and then what was originally known as the uh, John Paul II Cultural Center, which is across the street from Catholic U, um, and then that became a shrine when he became uh, was named a saint. Um, in both cases, or all cases really, uh, and others included Colonial Williamsburg, Gettysburg Foundation, Heritage Foundation, um, really what we were charged with doing was, was providing that support that, that helped um, them raise money. Um, and in particular, the, the Catholic space was near and dear to me. Um, and that really, that experience led me into uh, really the first company that I founded um, in 2003, well, almost 2004, which was the, the Faith Direct business, which uh, we were a very early pioneer in the um, online giving space. Um, it was both personal because it was an experience that led me to, to solve an issue, a major issue for the Catholic Church in particular, um, that at that point, uh, we certainly, my wife and I, we had three kids at the time, um, we weren't carrying cash and certainly not checks anymore. And we'd go to Mass and the running joke became, you know, do you have the check? Do you have the envelope? And I'd say no. And, and finally, she looked at me one day and she said, you're the marketing genius. Do something about this. So I took that <laughs> as a challenge. And uh, very soon thereafter, launched Faith Direct, which um, was a, a great run. Um, we, I think, did uh, a lot of great work for the wider church nationally in introducing how effective um electronic giving, as we termed it, e-giving, uh, could be for parishes so that they could not only function as an as a organization, but do outreach to the community and help them financially on cash flow. Sure. So to me, what it sounds like is you have a heavy influence with trying to solve a problem that, that exists right. in the world and, and kind of that challenge, which I think is true for a lot of entrepreneurs. But the other big thing that I'm seeing is 
a, a really big faith basis in everything that you're working on, or at least, you know, some of the things that you have dipped kind of your toes in. So talk to me about what your faith means to you in your life and how you were able to merge entrepreneurship and your faith. Sure. Um, incredibly important to me. I mean, this goes back to, you know, high school in particular. I was very active in my parish uh, in, in Chatham, New Jersey, Corpus Christi, um, youth groups, um, and some of the other uh, organizations that they had around that. Uh, really wanted to come to D.C. for school. And, um, you know, uh, Catholic U was was uh, the place I wanted to be. Um both because of the, 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 the obvious faith-based nature of the university, but I wanted to be in D.C. And um, that kind of led me through the path of, of where I wound up, uh, certainly in the direct marketing business, because I, by design, um, wanted to serve Catholic-related organizations. Um, and then, obviously, the, the the, the Faith Direct piece where we wound up working while I was still there and I've been sold that business in late 2017, so almost three years ago. We worked in, in 85 dioceses, so we had a national presence. And throughout those um, experiences, I, I uh, um, had a lot of very good relationships um, with both lay people at dioceses uh, across the country. Um, I know lots of priests who I you know, really gave me an opportunity to do, um, to build a business that while serving the church also, you know, wound up hiring. We had 20 plus employees for that business, let alone the, the, um, the, the amount of money we were help, helping raise so the churches um, could serve not only their parishioners, but their communities. And then all along, I've been involved on the volunteer side with, with faith-based organizations, um, and have served, as I said, on, on a couple of boards. And um, so it's incredibly important to me. And as a family, um, you know, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, the, the old adage that the family that stays, prays together, stays together. Um, you know, we, we do find that, uh, that, for instance, Sunday mass and, and things like that or, or and that go with it are super important to us and have really helped us in, in good times and bad. Sure. Yeah. So I think the other thing that I find really interesting about kind of like the faith connection into the entrepreneurship is that, you know, a lot of people will tell you there's two things that your business should not get involved in, which is politics and religion. Right. And your your business that you started, Faith Direct, was kind of in, in violation of what most people would say you should do with a business. But I think what interests me is the way that you were able to merge the two and still be successful. Um, the other thing that I've that I've also heard, other than don't get involved in religion and politics with business, is that you can't be successful in it. You're not going to make any money for yourself. You're you know you're going to be basically doing everything for free. So, what what kind of inspired you to start Faith Direct, other than than solving that challenge? And what kind of success did you see from that? Sure, I think in really the true two startups that I've had Faith Direct and, and Tipio. Um, and I know we'll chat a little bit more about that, is, is finding thought leaders within those organizations, so within the church, that recognize the value. And I had, you know, several priests, um, it, both locally and even going back to where I grew up in New Jersey, um, 
uh, Monsignor Kerr, who was a former VP of, at Catholic U and then went on to um, run, or he was the president of La Roche College. Uh, and unfortunately, he passed away uh, several years ago, but was very influential on saying or telling me, you can do this, you're doing it for the right thing. And oh, by the way, it's okay to, to make money. Um, and so I had a lot of conversations with, with pastors. Um, I clearly ran into a lot of heads with uh, mostly lay people, but certainly, um, um, you know, some religious as well, who really didn't understand um, what the ROI was we were doing for these parishes and therefore didn't think they had to, to pay for it. Um, but as we grew as a business and we took ourselves very seriously, and really defined um, what the results should be and, and how much it could help a parish financially. I think we helped change that conversation. And, you know, I've always found that you get leaders on board within their industries and, that, you know, look at the church as an industry, um, if you will, or, or organization, maybe is a better word. Um, once you get those key people on board, the, the, the success follows as long as we um you know meet the meet the criteria i i had the great um privilege of working with uh, monsignor john ensler who's now the ceo of catholic charities in, in, in washington dc and i'll never forget um the first meeting i had with him was uh, very early on in the in the business and i had a laptop that was you know this big because it was 2004 and uh i was at the at the pastoral center in DC for a meeting with him and in a conference room. And I, I had my, my laptop up and I'm going through my PowerPoint, which again was pretty dated because it was several years ago. And midway through, he said, close that thing. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm done. And he said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. I believe in what you're trying to do. Um, uh, we're going to get 20 parishes. And he was also the vicar for finance and development. So hugely influential guy and, and honestly, one of the top pastors, I think, in the country. Um, and he said, I'll get 20 of my uh, fellow pastors on board with this. We're going to show that this is going to work. And he said, if you make me successful, I'll make you successful. So it was an amazing moment that, um, you know, we were given opportunity to deliver. Um, that business was uh, really thought the thought processes would it be for Sunday offertory or Sunday collection that families would have the Christians would have the ability to sign up a bank account for the automatic be an automatic recurring giving. And he said to me, we need to do more than that. Um, you know, for those that the listeners that understand how the Catholic church does and so many others from a collection standpoint, there's, you know, three or four additional ones per month. And he said, I need you to include those all. And I'm thinking, I, of course, like a, the classic entrepreneur, I said, of course we can do that with no earthly idea <laughs> how we were going to do it. You're like, um, yeah, I, I don't know if we could do that, but I'm definitely going to tell him that we can. Right. And and we figured it out. Uh, my partner, who's still my business partner today, is um, brilliant at figuring these things out. And, and um, we did. And we were kind of off and running. And that was, you know, uh, and my, my pastor, too, here, who's now retired. Um, Monsignor John Cregan really, you know, I'll use the word he stuck his neck out for me to say, I believe in what you're doing. And 
there was a lot of rum, uh, rumbling. I mean, I still remember the first parish we introduced uh, Faith Direct to was Our Lady of Perpetual Help in Burnsville, New Jersey. So that was first of over 800. But I remember it like it was the 800 because of, you know, it was the first time we launched it. And I went up there for the, the weekend. We used to have what was called a weekend mass announcement. We still like they still do. Um, and I, you can see body language in, you know, some parishioners saying, I can't believe you're sort of commercializing the way we give. Um, but, you know, that was another classic example of a pastor who recognized the value and said, we're going to do this because it's the right thing. And, you know, they're, they're still a client 15 years later of, of Faith Direct, as I understand it. And so a lot of key people really help you along and and you demonstrate um value you demonstrate you believe in what you're doing uh, i think the that most entrepreneurs will can be successful yeah that's awesome so i i want to talk a little bit about kind of getting that pushback and and what to do when you're in that situation so Obviously, one of the one of the big things that people are going to have an issue with with something like Faith Direct, where, like you just said, it's you know people might see it as a commercialization of the church. Is they're immediately going to get really uncomfortable with it? You said you could see their body language. What kind of pushback did you face for this business, and and how did you get through that as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think the um, it's a great question. The other part of that pushback is not only the reluctancy to change a system that had been, you know, envelope collection had been in place for like 80 years and cash had been, you know, 120 or something like that, um, was, and I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this now with Tipio. It's, you know, you've never done this before. Why should I, why should I use you? Uh, in 2004, um, right before that first pair started in Burnsville, New Jersey, I was at a meeting at another um, local parish that had a great meeting with the pastor. I literally had no more than a business card that, you know, we were talking about this concept. And I still remember he, you know, walked me out to the car and he's like, so there's no work on this for me. I think I understand what you're trying to do. Let me talk to my finance council. They were having a meeting a couple of days later. And I said, you know, Monsignor, you know, we we're, we know what we're doing. We need a few people to try it out, sort of thing. Um, about ten days later, I get a call from his business manager, saying, you know, we had a meeting. Everybody on the board recognizes uh, what the value is, but you've never done this before. So we're going to work with your only competitor at the time. Um, which was like a Whoa. kick in the gut, like you've never <laughs> seen. Um, I can't imagine. That's yeah, it that's, was, it that's was crazy. A, it was crazy. It was crazy, but it was also a tremendous lesson for me in, in perseverance. And um, nine years later, they dropped that other vendor and came our way because I think we demonstrated a much different value um, and engagement, which is a huge part of the, the Faith Direct success. Is, how to get people to use the recurring giving program. But it, it was also, um, you know, it, it was a hard lesson to, to try to deal with because you here, I literally thought I had another client on board and was very bullish. And um, that's happened to me, you know, more than once with, with every business I've been in and I'm experiencing probably more now with the, 
the the tip you know, the mobile tipping business for hospitality because that is um in such a fractured state right now the hospitality space due to covid um but you know we're we're not giving up you have to kind of keep your eye on the ball and say okay in this case i i remember after i sort of you know snapped to it and said okay they're they're using a competitor there's still sixteen thousand other Catholic parishes we can go to and and right and and we did and and um you know we we encountered that quite often um until we got some momentum years like three and four and became the leader in in the Catholic space specifically to electronic giving um but it's not without challenge I mean um when I sold the business in 2017 part of the due diligence was from the, the buyer um to divulge or we had to divulge competitors and there were um 18 different companies now in that space in the catholic space um providing quote similar services so it showed you know that there was a market for it um but it also shows that there's you know competition i think is a great thing um because it gives entrepreneurs and, and business owners the opportunity to um, you know, separate yourself in a different way, show value, show that, you know, results are incredibly important. Um, and, and that's really how we built that business and, and, and became the leader in that space. Sure. And so this is not your only uh, disruptive, I'll call it, uh, business that you've started. You yeah. also started one that was very similar uh, that you're running now, that operates on on similar principles of going digital, um, but it it operates a little bit differently. So talk to me a little bit about Tipio and and how you started that. Sure. Um, the when when I was still with the Faith Direct business, I traveled um, almost once a week, uh, year round, visiting parishes, team members that we had throughout the country, salespeople, diocese, things like that. Um, and part of that experience would, would be, you know, I'd stay in a hotel, um, wake up in the morning to catch a flight or go to a meeting or whatever it might be. And often I was going to, you know, Dallas or Detroit or LA just for a night to come back. Um, that I felt it was super important to acknowledge those um, housekeepers, uh, for example, or anyone within a hotel industry that really make the, the difference in, in a hotel stay. Um, largely they're on the margins in terms of compensation and you know i felt that it was a huge future um opportunity to help them um increase their 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 tip pay which they most of them depend on i rarely carried cash especially in those last two to three years and i thought you know this is about five years ago five years ago surely there's a you know, some way that, that I could acknowledge them using the digital wallet. And there really, there, there wasn't, you, you, you know, a lot of people said to me, well, what about Venmo? What about PayPal? I use PayPal and Venmo all the time. They're phenomenal platforms. Right. But the reality is, is they can't offer the type of solution that's required for an individual that in, in that scenario. And by the way, I've yet to talk to anybody that doesn't get it. I mean, everyone's been in that position, um, sure. whether it's to hand a, a valet 
a guy that parked your car a couple dollars or, you know, a concierge that may have uh, helped you with a dinner reservation to a housekeeper to clean your, your room with your four kids for, for three nights. And um, that our take on it was it could be at front facing, but understanding how that tip could through pass through the muster of regulatory and compliance um, um, regulations, which are which are pretty extensive, make it to that employee's paycheck, and we've solved that. And um, so, like the Faith Direct piece, it was okay. I, we don't carry, we don't have checks anymore. We had checks. We don't necessarily carry a checkbook. Where is my envelope on Sunday morning? It's I'm checking out of a hotel. I don't have cash. Surely. You know, in 2020, I should be able to leave a gratuity for for a housekeeper. Um, so when we I we exited that business in, in 17, we had already begun the process of of developing the brand, um, the identity, solving the the compliance issues, and how the money would flow. And um, you know, in 2019, after development of the app and, um, you know, a lot of hard work that went into to everything, positioning it, uh, we launched our first hotel partner um, right before Thanksgiving at the end of 19. Wow. So to me, Tipio and, and the way that you describe it, you went out to solve a problem. Yep. And the problem, the, the main problem was that no one's carrying cash anymore. You want to be able to leave a tip. You don't want to be that jerk that's like, you know, someone's cleaning your room the whole week or, you know, uh, valeting your car and you're not giving them any tip. It's it's kind of considered standard now. And part of the reason why that's standard is because, as you said, a lot of these people rely on that to help pay their bills, to put food on the table, to send their kids to school. And so to me, you went out to solve a problem and actually ended up solving a couple different ones. Right. What does it mean to you to be able to put out a product that is not only going to solve the problem of kind of the consumer, but also someone who's, you know, possibly marginalized, they're they're working really hard, but they might be struggling with money? Sure. Uh, it's, it's, it's really gratifying and, uh, you know, to try to help uh, individuals that are on the margin like that. You know, interestingly enough, it, I have had many conversations with um, hotel operators and, and hospitality uh, management companies, and it's becoming pretty obvious because of COVID that tips are down. First of all, occupancy is down, um, clearly. But even those hotels that, that are running it closer, not all, I don't think will be at normal rates for another six months to a year, but closer occupancy, they're, they're um, really sharing that their employees are, are hurting because they're not seeing the tips and they totally rely on it. Um, right. And it, it is part of their income. Um, and this facilitates uh, their opportunity for increase in take-home pay. Um, to us, it's a human resource benefit, really, because Yes, we're meeting the, the, the needs of the guests, which is primary for a hotel, but we're also um, offering these hotels a super um, affordable solution that ultimately will not only help their employees comp, but 
we believe will help retain those employees because from an employee standpoint, a housekeeper standpoint, that's making a little bit better than minimum wage, if he or she sees their employer implementing a vehicle, if you will, that will increase their take-home pay and it's free to them, free to the employee, then, you know, my thought process, and unfortunately because of COVID, we hit a, a large, wasn't even a speed bump, it was a stop sign. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it, it facilitates that and, and it's a great benefit to, to everybody that, that's involved. That's awesome. Yeah, because, and, and I didn't even think about, I mean, I thought about it, but the whole aspect too for the hotel. So really who you're serving are the patrons of the hotel, you're serving the hotel, and then you're also serving the workers. Yep. So I, I like the term vehicle. You're putting a vehicle in place to improve the experience of all of these different people. And and it's not that expensive either. This is this is something that you guys implement and you know a hotel or whatever is able to put this as part of what they do and completely potentially change uh, the aspect for for all three parties involved for every single you know transaction that happens, which is incredible. Right. No, it, it is a win, and we you know frankly position that as such. Um, but going back to how do you you know we did hit the COVID situation. Well, the whole world did, so we're not alone. And during that time frame, really since March, instead of uh, you know kind of sitting back and saying we're just going to completely wait. Um, we have made more investment in the technology piece. Um, we've expanded our social media presence um, to try to build up um, not just Tipio as a brand, but mobile tipping is a, a huge requirement in, in this era of you know what we call the digital wallet um, and how we can integrate uh, um, like the the other businesses I've involved been involved with not put more work on, you know, whether it's church staff, hotel staff, you know, nonprofit foundation staff, but really be a partner that can facilitate this incredibly important function. Um, you know, I don't see any hotel in in the future um, if they encourage tips for their employees. Um, I don't see how they can't have it done digitally. Um, sure. And I think again, and to your point, it's 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 meeting the meet the, the guest needs, um, and it, it's also uh, helping the employees in, in a huge way. Yeah, I would totally agree. So, talk to me a little bit about competition. So, for Faith Direct, when you first started, you identified one other company that was doing something similar, and when you left a few years later, it was up to eighteen. What kind of competition does Tipio have and, and has that been increasing or decreasing because of COVID? Yeah, uh, we've definitely seen some competition. Um, we, we've had a little bit of, um, inter, uh, I, I'd say, we, we've noticed some new services coming out. Um, I think the one thing like the Faith Direct business was um, we are not just transaction driven. We're more adoption focused. And what I mean by that is you know, there's no sense in having an app um, or a solution, payment solution, if number one, no one knows how to promote it. Number two, no one uses it because right. you're not going to get, there, there'll be no um, result from it. And with the, like the Faith Direct business, 
um, we, because of that business, we understand the full circle aspect of, you know, I'm Brian Walsh. I, I stayed at the Marriott Marquis in New York City. I want to leave $5 because I'm checking out this morning. Um, but how does that $5 get to my housekeeper? And it, and, and understanding the back end integration is, um, it's really as valuable as the front end piece. Um, so what we're seeing in the competitive space are um, solutions that are heavy on the front end and, and but not um, not understanding how that tip would make it to an employee's paycheck. They're also very reliant or focused on one-on-one. So if if I understand my housekeeper's uh, name is is Joe Smith, um, you know, if I want to leave him a tip, you're then getting into a privacy type of issue with some of these more direct, direct peer type payment solutions where that's not good for either the guest or the, or the employee. And it's certainly not good for the hotel um, because then you get into IRS issues and, and things like that. Um, I expect, um, you know, we'll see more and more of this. Uh, there was a study that came out in 2019, um, excuse me, 2020, that looked at tipping in general in 2018, and it was a $35 billion estimate of tips. And that's across all industries, largely prop, uh, largely um, uh, a huge piece of that rather was Uber and Lyft and things like that. But it shows that how big of an industry, if you will, in of itself um, within the hospitality space, the, the opportunity is. Um, but it's understanding that the, the facility piece of how you you get that tip from my phone securely to to Joe Smith's uh, paycheck. Sure. Yeah, and I think that's really important too because it's one thing to be a competitor that has a similar product, like that's that's fine. But if that product is offering kind of like a short-term solution to something that, that might need kind of more long-term uh, problem solving, it's not going to do the trick. And also, yeah. if it's heavy only on the front end, like how it's actually happening, but then on the back end, it's like, okay, well, it could get to their paycheck a number of different ways, like potentially. For me, that's like problematic, which is why I think a company would go with Tipio over something like that. Right. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And you know, there's too many businesses in this world that I think are transaction based that don't understand or at least don't um, position themselves based on value. And again, solutions are they're they're full circle. You have to be able to execute and, and make sure that that in this case that tip gets from my phone to the paycheck. You know, in the, in the Faith Direct model, it was in all these other companies largely were transaction driven. Yes, my, my parish has an online giving program, but if your parishioners don't have, um, really understand how they can sign up for it, uh, if the parish does not engage a strategic marketing effort to move parishioners from writing checks into electronic giving, then it's really all for naught. I mean, there's no sense in having it. And, you know, looking at this last six months, um, you know, the feedback I've received from from colleagues at, at the, the Faith Direct business is those parishes that um, 
had robust programs that followed the drill that we brought to the table of an annual type renewal outreach, all these things that are, are, are so critical to the adoption piece, they actually did fine. Although, you know, there was no masses for, in, in some cases, there still aren't any. Um, whereas those parishes that had these, you know, more online giving presence only, uh, they, they're, they're not doing very well financially. Um, and I, I think that that's, there's a lot of similarity between the two businesses in, in that way and the way that, you know, we've approached things. Sure. So you also have a business partner that you've been working with for a little while, Melanie. Tell me a little bit about your partnership and how you make that work. Yeah, I mean, she's the the the, the backbone of the operations piece um, and understanding the the nuances and the details um, and both the payment side, the marketing side, um, and the HR side. I mean, we're we're a very small business now, but our I think our strengths really complement one another. Um, you know, I joke that I'm the idea guy, um, that but she figures out how to uh, to make things work. Um, you know, and that includes even the app development, being heavily involved with the developer, asking the right questions, um, and testing things out, understanding, you know, before you go live with something, what what are the nuances, what what could backfire? So yeah, we've worked together for almost 25 years at this point in a couple of different businesses and. You know, my prior partner um, in the direct marketing business, Jody Warfield, uh, same thing. Um, you know, she she uh, brought a, uh, a very valuable skill set that I didn't necessarily have. Um, and uh, we really, I think, worked really well together to ultimately provide value, serve clients. Um, and if, if they direct stuff, uh, the part of things, um, you know, we had a leadership team. Um, you know, the, my, my brother, Mike, I had the great privilege of working with him for uh, about 12 years. He ran the sales team um, and uh, Brad Otto was our operations director and, and um, both of them are still with the company. And so as we grew, we needed, you know, more leaders that could step in and, um, you know, they all had their very special um you know, focus and, and, and strengths that they made the company successful. Sure. So would you say a lot of the success that you've seen in, in prior businesses is due to those teams that you've been setting up? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you can't do it alone. Uh, you know, I'm, I've learned a lot more about tech over the years and how it works, but it's bringing in the right partners you, know, you have to manage them. You have to understand what they're doing. But as a team, um, you know, you, you it, it's really critical to have uh, people that understand the mission of the organization, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, we've had, you know, tremendous success over the years. We've had some, some, you know, some of it backfired. I mean, that's that's business. And um, but I, I think that moving forward with the with the Tipio business. Um, as we see the, the industry come back on its feet, um, we will begin to place or hire more people to, to serve the need. Um, we're a very small team right now, uh, very effective. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's, 
as we grow, I think we've got the experience to know when we need to hire people and, and um, help us scale, basically. Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. So a big part for me of being an entrepreneur and, and learning and trying to develop something that's going to be better than anything that I've built before is failure. So tell me about your biggest failure and what you learned from that experience. Yeah, I shared a little bit the story about, you know, the thought that we we had I had snagged my uh, another really important parish for us up in New Jersey when I started the Faith Direct business. And it, it was a failure because they didn't come on. But at the same time, it taught me that persistence um, absolutely matters. And it was a great turning point. Um, you know, you fast forward to the Tipio business, we did, we still do have a partner that owns 13 hotels. All those hotels are, are closed right now. Um, and, and we've been told that eventually we'll be back on board with them. So maybe not a failure, but a challenge. And, and I think in both cases, it's how do we take the sort of bad news and, and try to learn from it and, and pivot and go in another direction, at least that we can begin to build the business. You know, I, I had the, um, either fortune or misfortune of not only did I start Faith Direct um, in 2003, but I started it during literally the, the height of the priest abuse scandal, which was pretty terrible timing in a lot of ways. Uh, right. We had this great concept. We had a couple parishes working. And then, you know, it, the, the news hits um, started out of Boston that, that uh, there was a lot of a lot of challenges that the church was going to face financially and that was a that wasn't a failure but the timing was could be viewed as one and right. um likewise in 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 19 2019 we we get our first tipio partner up and working and we're seeing great results and we know the tech is working and you know we're starting it we got approval to, to proceed with a, another 10 of our properties at this one ownership group and COVID hits. And, um, you know, I, I sometimes think I have a black cloud over my head of what I'm trying to start businesses. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I think failures are, are often in misjudging um, early on, you know, how, how much we could scale um, it, it, it's in particular the faith direct business, but also, um, how you took the rejection piece. I mean, there were, you know, for every, I've probably been in, in six, 700 parishes across the country over the years, probably more. And, you know, failure to me would be when we didn't earn their business. Um, that to me was a, a failure because I was that confident in the results driven uh, uh, solution that we had that, you know, right or wrong they should buy it and and use it um and that happened a lot it just teaches you grit and and how to persevere um you know we one of the reasons i i decided to sell that business was and this was a um really a, a result of our own success was the amount of money that we were processing 
um, was so much that it could have been a, a disaster for, for us, for me personally, as the major equity owner of the company, because we um, had a lot of personal guarantees that we had to, to sign up for and understanding, you know, if it was a breach of some sort, what that could do um, to my family and I personally, and um, not really understanding that going into it. Um, I don't know, again, if it's really a failure, but uh, um, probably being naive of understanding if you're gonna scale something, um, understand that what comes with that. Uh, I've got a much greater appreciation for that now and going into the faith of, excuse me, the Tipio business, um, a lot of that knowledge was built into, you know, how we're set up, how the technology works, the IP piece, the, the trademarking and everything that goes with it. Um, um, you know, I think ultimately it, it, to me would be probably on the human resource side when we've hired people that on paper, um, that and, and doing during interviews and references, they look ideal to fit in the team um, and they just don't work out. They don't meet expectations. And um, I always viewed that as a failure because we did our due diligence um, uh, clearly, but we also require expectations. If you're a sales leader, you have to sell X number of units, if you will. If you don't, then it's not gonna work out. Um, right. But I never liked that piece of, of having to tell somebody, you know, especially when you like them personally, that, you know what, this has been a failure for both of us because you have to move on and I have to tell you that, which is a tough. Yeah. Tough I mean, that's that's got to be a really tough position as a boss, but also to me, like as a founder, that yeah. has to be really, really challenging because it's not like you're part of these massive companies and you can just kind of send that down the line. Like, you know, John Smith's not hitting his numbers. So then it's going to go to this person, this person, this person, and then they're going to tell him it's, it's just you. And, and, you know, from your experience also like liking most of the people that you work with, if not all of them, and then having to say and go to that person and be like, yeah, it's just not working out. Like that's, that seems really tough to me. It is. It's it's tough. You you learn from it. Um, I think it also helps you on your future hires um, and looking at them and and also you know understanding what expectations are. Uh, uh, one of my colleagues at, at Faith Direct and I used to often say that we felt like we were talking potential employees out of coming to work with us be, before we were convinced <laughs> because it's you know any business, any sales, any new. Um, in particular, in the nonprofit church space, it, it's it, it's a always a grind up hill. Um, there's a lot of similarities though to hospitality in so many ways. It's a huge industry. It's very fractured, and there's 55,000 hotels in the United States alone. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's understanding, you know, what uh, who's going to be the buyer, who understands what what the solution is, who. And, and navigating that, um, but it's not easy, and, and it's a new technology, and, and you know, um, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I mean, it, it takes a lot of grind for sure. I'm sure, yeah. So, give me a one-year plan for Tipio. Hopefully, 
you know, towards the end of that one year where we're exiting COVID. What are you guys getting really excited about now? What are you going to do with Tipio in the future? Well, I think what we're excited about is I slowly we're getting um, some attention uh, about the topic of mobile tipping. And, and what I mean by that is, is we're starting to see on social media platforms that people we don't know are um, using us as an example as a solution. Uh, we want to see more than that. We obviously want to, the, the key or, or the goal is really what we want and need to see is, is we, we need more hotels doing this to demonstrate that it works. Um, and, you know, we're, we're making progress. We've got um, one and I'm under an NDA, so I can't say who it is, but it's a, a named brand um, that we're hopeful that we'll begin beta testing for next month. Um, that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. The solution um, remains the same, but it also is enhanced that it will be a more of a plug-in for those larger hotel brands that have their own um, app, and and it would be what's termed a web UI solution. Um, so we're that's a direction, uh, an enhancement that we're going to be able to offer. Which you know, um, COVID has its silver linings it gave us the chance to develop that solution and technology and i think will open um should open a lot more doors on on that front um so we're th those are really two it's, it's to begin to add more more clients and, and hopefully get back on board with the existing one once their hotels are back open but sure. it's going to be you know it's the industry has been hit very hard um, and there's a lot of closures going on, a lot of de delays and, you know, as a support tech in that space, we're not always everybody's go-to right now. So it's sure. a lot of patience. So, yeah, that's understandable. Cause yeah. what is the hospitality industry down to right now? Do you know? Occupancy wise or number of room wise or I mean, I mean, all of it. So I, I know it's down like like a bunch of percent because I know people aren't really staying at hotels anymore. Yeah, I think it's that. I think it's really region by region, depending on where you're looking at. New York is is pretty much. Um, I mean, so many of the hotels are closing there. Name name hotels that everyone knows. An article came out on Sunday in the New York Times, and yeah, there's some major properties that just aren't going to reopen. Um, to be fair, it it it's been um, you know, reported on that there were too many hotels to begin with, maybe in New York City. So it was time sure. to try to consolidate and, and, and things like that. Um, occupancy rates across the board in the estates um, are still hovering at maybe 30%. For those that are open, you know, we had another great opportunity with a major brand that, that everybody knows of uh, to beta test a um, property uh, that they have in, in Chicago. Um, we were going to do that in July and they wound up delaying the opening of that particular hotel until January. So we do see that, you know, almost daily, unfortunately. And um, flip side is, is, you know, we, we've got these other hotels that are opening do want to, to put this in place. And, you know, I, I think the next year is going to be uh, an exciting time. I'm, I'm very bullish that we're we're going to 
see it through and be an important you know, part of the industry. Yeah, that's great. And I actually had uh, Brian Becker on in season one of the show, uh, who I know you know uh, well personally. Um, And I think the one thing that he said about small businesses going through everything right now that really resonated with me was that the businesses that were already having issues, um, once they entered COVID, they shut down. And, And the ones that... So to me, that's like reminiscent of some of these hotels that were probably experiencing issues or like in New York, there's too many hotels. They were probably going down, you know, in terms of sales anyways. And they had, you know, maybe another six months to two years left. And then COVID hits and it's like, okay, instead of, you know, that kind of lead time to shut everything down, sell off some assets, things like that, it's, it's done now. Um, so I think that creates a really interesting, um, space within hospitality because, it's not just everything dying off. We are going to see, I hope, kind of a vacuum effect of people entering a market that before there were all these massive players that created barriers to entry, but now some of the massive players are, are getting hurt and there's yeah. there might be some space for some smaller people to yeah. enter. So what do you think about that? Do you think I, we're going to see some better hotels? I, I think it's yeah. an opportunity. Um, uh, both for new hotels, for new solutions, um, and agree totally with Brian Becker that you know there there were too many uh, businesses that were didn't have a, an exit type of plan or, or a way to pivot, and and those are um, you know they're they're not going to survive and they're not surviving, and so I think it is a, a big opportunity at some point, hospitality specific, you know people will start to travel again. They have started. I know there's a big sort of movement, the stay at home work piece and the business travel has gone, you know, in, in, in the toilet, so to speak. I don't, uh, I don't buy that. I think ultimately people need to see people and be in a room and meet with customers and sales teams and interact. And that's where the creativity is done. Zoom is great. Thank God we had it. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, uh, technology is is there, but I think you know people are people, and and you want to, you know, have the ability to to sit in a room and, and talk through uh, strategy and, and everything that goes with it. And uh, you know, if I I could, I, I want to kind of give a, a, a plug to the really what I'm seeing as another startup that I'm involved with, which is the Venture Lab at Catholic U. Um, which ties a lot of this all together. The Venture Lab is the opportunity for students, undergrads, um, to have a formal pathway to bring their startup ideas to fruition. And what we mean by that is, is this is a place now where, and I've already sent an email out last week announcing it, just the, the business school students, and we're getting ready to roll it out to the rest of the school. Um, I've already had six evaluation students have sent in evaluation. Um, we, we have a process and, you know, there's some really cool ideas. Um, immediately you're looking at this and saying, wow, I, I can see where this is going. Um, and they're not necessarily COVID, you know, proof, but some of them would work. Some of them wouldn't work in COVID era. So it's going to be an exciting time to see what, businesses come, you know, come to light with new ones and which ones are strengthened over time. And, and, um, you know, it, it's, 
I think a, a, a reset for a lot of people, I've used it as one and to try to improve what you're doing, your, your product offering, um, and, and, uh, you know, in our case for this business in particular, you know, how are we going to enhance a guest experience and improve the lives of, you know, the hotel workers we're trying to impact. Sure. Yeah, that's great. So to me, Catholic university and, and being an alum, um, was always such a really cool place to be able to be working on some of these projects and businesses because most of the businesses that I've started, I started a Catholic U, you know? And so I think what I also owe that to is being able to have, you know, people like you entrepreneurs and residents at Catholic university within the Sioka entrepreneurship center to be able to talk to. And and many of you guys have actually come on the show too, which is great. Um, But that kind of a resource and that kind of a program where you're taking, you know, people who have been field tested that know their stuff, and then you're taking students with great ideas yeah. and you're trying to figure things out like, will this work? Will it not work? I think that's really huge. And the other thing that we're seeing now too is that um, they're starting to try and start these programs as early as high school. Yeah. And so to me, it's it's kind of, you know, I'm a little bit jealous because I'm like, I wish <laughs> that we had stuff like that in, in right. high school or you know, I wish I had Venture Lab in college, but um, it's really exciting to see student-run businesses, but also student, you know, project ideas start to come to fruition and, and yep. to figure these things out. So that must be incredibly rewarding to be part of a program like that. It, it is super rewarding. Keep in mind, you're talking to a guy that the internet wasn't even invented when I was a Catholic. Student, so, um, <laughs> right. You know, a lot has changed, but I think, you know, really one of the most exciting parts of this Venture Lab is I was able to reach out to um, mostly my era, uh, late 80s, early 90s of alumni that, you know, I, I said to the team at Sioka, we, we have at our disposal an amazing group of alumni that I know will help. And most of these are, are, you know, old friends of mine that have gone on and, and you know, run and had amazing careers. Most of them are entrepreneurial, um, you know, and they're the businesses that they're affiliated with or they have started or household names. And to me, it was a great opportunity to add value to students to, to eventually as their ideas are formalized to pair them up from a mentorship standpoint with this team of leaders. Um, everyone on the team is really excited to get involved, uh, which is great. And it shows the unique character of Catholic University. Um, and you talk about high school and undergrads, really to me, this is an opportunity for us to, to improve the value of the education for, for the student or attract, you know, a high school kid that's got entrepreneurial dreams that he knows that there's a very specific pathway um, that he can be involved with and, and, and ultimately have a network of alumni that'll help bring that, that idea to fruition. So. Um, I think it's it's an exciting time. It complements the classroom experience um, a great deal. And, and uh, you know, as I said, I've already seen um, six really interesting, very diverse ideas um, in, in many different ways. And the student meetings that I've had just this week, because uh, we just launched it, I've had three, um, you know, very impressed with the caliber of the thought 
process. It's just helping them along with what we think that they might need as a next step. That's incredible. Yeah, I I love that. And, and you know, uh, encouraging entrepreneurship to me at an early age, like as early as you can get it to me is, is, is yeah. huge. Um, because I do think that a lot of these traits do start early and, you know, they always say it's like habits and things like that. So teaching people like failure is not, you know, the end and you need to be persistent and you need to persevere and it's going to be through hard work and you got to work, you know, smarter, not harder. I think all of these things kind of tie into, entrepreneurship education and the earlier that we can start planting that seed or or help to develop mm-hmm. someone that has these great ideas and does want to start businesses but they don't know where to actually get started or find support i think that's incredible so well, kudos thanks. to you we're, guys we're excited and and uh you know there's there's a lot of opportunity um for these students and and uh they've got a lot of support and you know, you mentioned the failure piece a couple of times. Clearly, entrepreneurs have to. Uh, I, I'm you learn it in different ways. Um, I guess my takeaway, uh, uh, sort of using the faith angle on it, is you know God closes the door; He always opens the window, and you have to have that mindset that you're going to get rejection all the time, and a lot of people aren't going to think your your idea is that great either. Um, and, and right, and I've. I've encountered that uh, really twice where you have your naysayers, you have people will say, well, you know, they're already doing that over here, or there's already this company. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of space to be successful if you bring uh, value and, and grit to what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Hey, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can see you back one day. Absolutely, Ben. Enjoyed it. Great to see you. Congratulations on the success of POTS. I look forward to thank you to, uh, staying in touch and uh, have a great day. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, that was, again, Brian Walsh. He is the founder of Faith Direct and now Tipio. I really enjoyed having him on the show. I think uh, he's probably one of the coolest entrepreneurs that I've had the pleasure of meeting and also uh, luckily working for. Um, I really enjoyed having him on and hopefully we can have him back uh, after COVID to see how Tipio is doing and and how they've been adjusting. If you want to listen to more episodes, you can go to our website. It's www.totspodcast.com. Now, if you want all the links for the show, including the YouTube, all of our social media, how you can support us financially, you're going to find that at www.solo.to forward slash tots. I would really appreciate it if you could check out our Patreon and consider becoming a patron, again, financially supporting the podcast so that I can do what I love to do, which is give good content to you. That would be incredible if you could do that. Some of our tiers start as low as $2 a month, which is not very expensive. Uh, so yeah, I would really appreciate that. If you want to listen to some other episodes, we are pretty much on every single music or podcast streaming app. That includes Spotify, Apple, Google, we're all over the place. If you want to find us anywhere else on social media, just search at TotsCast and we will pop up. Thank you so much for listening. I post a new interview just like this one. We have some really cool guests every single Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So please stick around, give me a follow, check out all of our links, and I'll see you next week.